In this episode, I'm going to talk about some key economic driving factors and how I think these are going to relate into the Australian economy. My name is Adam Panisi. I'm doing a couple hundred million dollars of my own property development deals, and I keep a close watch on certain indicators to make sure that I'm buying right, buying well, or that I'm in sell down mode. So at the moment, I'm looking in buying mode because I think there's some really good fundamentals in the Australian property market and in the economy as well. So first and foremost, if you have a look at our labor that is the unemployment rate across Australia. It rose in 2020. So unemployment rate was sitting at like seven and a half percent. That was when everyone was scared about what was going to happen. People were dying, you know, in the middle of COVID. And then over the time since we've passed, you know, mid 2020, the unemployment rate has gone right down to where it's sitting now, three and a half percent. But one thing that's interesting is this bottom line proportion of vacant jobs. It's dropped for the first time in a little bit. So you can see that it, it was rising basically since we got out of you know June 2020 or July 2020, that peak unemployment rate. So now it's actually dropped for the first time pretty much since then. You can see there was a little bit of a drop there or flatlining, you know, September 21. So that's a good thing. Uh, it means that our unemployment rate is probably going to etch up higher. It is a little bit delayed. We've seen over the last six months, you know, major corporations in the US and some in Australia laying off a number of people, not to the severity as the US back here in Australia. Um, but obviously that has a flow on effect. You know, the global economy is slowing. Australia's economy is slowing. It means that unemployment is going to raise and start to get higher. Hopefully it will normalize, you know, what it was before, 5%. We don't really want it to go too much higher than that. You can see that it was at 6%, you know, in 14. Uh, so then obviously the government was dropping rates through that period. So to, you know, lower the unemployment rate. That's one thing that I look at. I keep a close eye on an unemployment rate now, especially with inflation the way it is and interest rates continuing to go up that directly impacts people's ability to borrow money and obviously capacity to pay, capacity to buy property. So it does impact property quite significantly and people need to be employed. They need to have a job to then go and get a loan from a bank to buy a property. So it is extremely important, this statistic. Another one is the first home buyer loan commitments. This is probably no surprise that it's fallen again. It's fallen to its lowest level since February, 2017. You can see it in the commentary commentary at the top. And I just look at the graph. This is overall, but it is first home buyers. And when you think about buyers of property in the Australian market, or for any country for that matter, you know, these are the people that are buying their first home. They don't have a huge, huge deposit. They've got no other equity in other properties because it's literally their first home. So they've saved a deposit and that deposit may be 5%. It might even be less in some instances or it might be more, but for a lot of first-home buyers, they're not gonna have you know 50% deposit to be putting down on a property. So we go and put interest rates up, it's going to directly affect these first-home buyers. Plus a lot of them are gonna be scared about what they can afford. Uh, being in that you know boat buying and looking at my first home, I would I was looking at interest rates. You know what can I borrow money for, and how much is the expense going to be? Admittedly, I started my journey a little bit differently to most people, but I mean that was still on my radar as a 22 year old. I was looking at interest rates quite closely. So first home buyers, I don't think they're going to jump back into the market until interest rates start leveling and probably start to come back down again. So I think that this graph we're going to see continue to fall off a cliff 
for at least the next six months or, you know, maybe plateau in six months time. So sort of by, you know, mid to late 2023, I think. So that just means that first-time buyers aren't buying properties. So if you've got properties and it's appealing to first-time buyers, well, those prices are likely dropping unless you've got no supply in that area. But generally, first-time buyer market is on the outskirts, you know, the far outskirts of any capital city. And I would be surprised if somebody told me that a first-home buyer market has actually increased in the last six months or 12 months, you know, basically since this graph has fallen off a cliff. I'd be very surprised if property increased in those areas. So I don't think property in first-home buyer markets is going to increase in the next six to 12 months. I think for the majority of those, it's still going to feel some pain because first-home buyers are going to be the hardest hit with this affordability, cost of living, rising interest rates on their mortgage. You know, it's not a good story for first-home buyers at the moment, but I think that the government will provide some stimulus. They always do around the first-home buyer market to help people into the market. And at the moment, you know, there's some government grants and various different things, some loans that have been obviously noted uh, and released in the last six months, but that's not going to mean, you know, that small number is not going to turn this graph the other way. So, you know, we're, we're pretty much at the level with, that we sat at, you know, from 2010 all the way to, you know, just before COVID really. So that's first home buyer market uh, just in a nutshell. And, you know, if you have a look at overall loans, that's pretty much doing the same thing. It's falling off a cliff and it has done for a little bit. And I think there's a bit more to be felt, a bit more pain. So in the private housing market, in terms of building approvals, so we're already at a record low number of vacancy rates around the country. You would have seen headlines around rental crisis. This is apparent for you know the areas I live in, the areas I'm developing in. There's huge rental crisis. There's not many properties for sale on the market in my areas that I'm developing in. And the reason is, is that council hasn't given enough approvals in the last probably 10 years uh, for that matter. And that has obviously had an impact on people coming into the area because there's more people coming in, there's more buyer demand, more rental demand than there are houses available. And as a nationwide country, we have not built enough properties. And from my perspective, that is actually the responsibility of the councils. The local councils are not taking ownership of this. They don't want people to be pointing the fingers at them. But lots of councils, especially the ones I'm in, they're very anti-development. And what that does is restrict the number of dwellings into an area and subsequently pushes house prices up. So people whinge about the housing affordability crisis or the rental crisis. You know, you can whinge all you want, but you've got people in council that are very anti-development. You know, we're as developers trying to provide a product to the market. And by, by us providing more products to the market, it means that we can keep that affordability, you know, under wraps. The amount of rigmarole and applications and hoops you've really got to jump through with council, and in some instances, the state government, there's a lot of red tape to get through. And that has gotten so much worse in the last 10 years. So I'm not actually surprised that, you know, we've, we're seeing low approvals off the back of obviously high interest rates, but then you know we're in a rental crisis, a housing crisis at the moment. So it's too late for the government to step in now. Like It's great that they're stepping in, but by the time all these houses get delivered, it's going to be another three to five years by the time we actually see some mass supply into the market. So what are we going to do between now and the next three to five years? You can approve these houses, but they actually still need to get built. Like you, You've got to do 
the land subdivision, you've got to create the blocks of land. You know, that takes time to provide all the services and actually physically build the things. And then you've got to actually build the actual structure on top of that as well. So, you know, there's a, there is a process and that normally takes anywhere from three to five years to build, you know, dwellings of a significant nature. Now, I'm not just talking about building a single house because you've got to think about where are you building that house? You've got to have the block of land. And if there's no land available, then you're going to create the land. So you've got to actually develop the land. And one step before that, council's actually got to give you the approval to develop the land. And in some instances and properties that I'm developing, you know, I've been four or five years in the making just to get the approval, let alone actually build the thing. So the number of <clears throat> dwellings approved, it's fallen again. You know, it's hit a 10-year low. Have a look at this graph. I keep an eye on state by state and also local council areas. There is a really good site with finding that. I'm not going to go through that today, but you know, I keep a, a bit of a close eye on my local councils and how many dwellings are approved to make sure that the market's obviously not in oversupply. And also keep an eye on what other developments have been approved. So which ones are going to be coming out of the ground? So this you can see is sitting pretty damn low. I mean, we're back to 2009 post GFC numbers. And I think that that's probably going to get worse, not better, because there's a lot of developers now holding on to things. There's a lot of homeowners that are going to shelve projects as are developers. You know, there's plenty of developers I know that are just sitting waiting for building prices to come back down before they start building. So that could be another six to 12 months away before we start to see this, this go back up. So that's a real problem, especially, you know, for our state governments and, you know, federal governments talking about all this housing crisis. You know, they've got to get to the root cause. And the root cause is actually the local councils issuing approvals. And the, the process of local councils, it's not streamlined. It does take a long time to get significant land approved. And I'm not just talking about 10 lots or 20 lots. I mean, like, you know, significant land, 500 lots, 1,000 lots at a time. You know, that sort of thing. And same with high rises. And then at the end of it, people need to actually be able to afford the end product. You know, not everyone's going to want to live in the city or 10 kilometers from the city in a high rise. You know, not everyone wants to live in a unit. What about the people with families? You know, you're going to be opening up land on the outskirts. So that's where dwelling approvals sit. And I think that that's going to get worse into 2023. Uh, some positive news. And I mean, I look at these as positive news because we want the economy to be slowing at the moment. So we, we want to see, you know, those graphs with housing approvals go down, although it has a counter effect at this point in time, because normally, and I'll go back to that, normally when, when we've seen this, this indicator go down, it's been off the back of a construction boom, which is fine because we've got enough supply and then it takes time for that supply to be taken up in the market. But at the moment, we don't have any supply. So now that this has dropped off, we're actually a bit stuffed for the next few years. So you can see between 2013, you know, when Sydney, Melbourne had a big boom, Brisbane had a tiny little boom, but between 2013, these building approvals shot up. And then, you know, 2016, 2017, a lot of areas we saw oversupply, including Brisbane, and then it started to pitter away. So, you know, this is, you know, around the country. And then in 2019, you know, it was quite low again. And I was selling properties in 2019 and even in early 2020. The market was terrible, you know, at least around Southeast Queensland. It was really bad. Uh, you know, first home buyers were not in the market. Second home buyers, 
the market is better now to sell product to than what it was back then because we had an oversupply in particular areas off the back of the construction boom, which was 2013 to 2016. We have not had a construction boom. That's still coming and it will come when it starts. It'll probably be in 2024 and it'll probably last another three years thereafter. So take note of that. We are headed for a construction boom. We have to because we don't have enough supply and that's around the country not just in you know the areas I'm in in Southeast Queensland predominantly. So CPI, it finally has come back down. Again, hopefully it's on the trajectory down and it doesn't spike back up again. So this is only the monthly indicator. We do have a quarterly indicator as well, but this has come into play just recently around the monthly indicator. And probably a lot of people, not only myself, take quite quite no, like a significant interest in this monthly indicator now that you know interest rates are continually going up. So I think there's some light at the end of the tunnel very soon. I think we're only in for another, hopefully a couple, couple of increases, maybe not even that. I'd like to see the RBA actually draw out those increases and not just smash us with another 0.25 and then back it up with another 0.25. I'd like to think that they are going to rise it or start putting it up smallly, like in increments, rather than just do you know 0.25, 0.25 and then put it on hold. I'd rather see it, you know, etch up slowly to see how the market responds and whether we start to level out and whether hopefully CPI starts to level out. But I don't make that decision. That's for somebody else to make. And, you know, if they make the wrong decision, they get grilled, but they still, you know, get paid their uh, multi-six-figure or seven-figure salary, including bonuses. So, you know, if they get it wrong, you know, who cares for them? If they get it right, then they're praised and everyone loves them. But at the moment, governor's not overly liked. Uh, you know, the next governor that's going to come in, he's going to be putting rates down. So he's going to be well liked, at least to start off with. So that'll be an interesting turn once that happens towards the end of 2023 with a, a new governor. Uh, just some items around the monthly consumer price index. And I know for a lot of people, including myself, when I look at like flights and accommodation into various different areas, they're like so much more expensive than what they were you know, pre-COVID, even just some hotels that I've stated before, like they've literally doubled their price, which which I find it absolute, absolutely ridiculous. And the reason is that they're just booked out. So everyone wants to travel. Uh, I get it because, you know, we're all locked up, especially in the Southern states. Queensland, we didn't experience as much of a lockdown as our, as our Southern state counterparts. Um, but everyone is out traveling, going overseas because we haven't, haven't been able to and everything's gotten more expensive because it's, again, a supply-demand thing. You know, it's the same with property, it's supply-demand. There is one other aspect to it and it's affordability. So that's the thing that's going to be starting to bite down whether you want to travel or not this year. If you can't afford to travel, if you don't have savings to pay for it or you can't get a loan to pay for it, well, then you're not going to travel. You're going to be working to save money to then travel. So because we were sitting as a country on you know record levels of savings, those savings have dwindled, dwindled now, but there's still plenty of people sitting on massive amounts of savings, massive amounts of additional equity from the property boom. And you know people have used that money to go and travel, get out and experience Australia and the rest of the world. So that, that's played a massive role in our CPI. And if you scroll down the list, there's some other things that have played a big role as well like uh, food, you would have noticed that your supermarket, the food's gone up in price. I try not to look at how expensive food is because when I do, I'm a bit shocked. I just pay the bill at the end of it. Uh, and 
And so, yeah, I, I don't really look at specific items, but, you know, if I look at items now, I think, wow, that's that's really, really expensive for what I'm getting. I think how much markup is actually in that. Whereas if I go to like the farmer directly, uh, like, you know, farmer's markets and things like that, they're a lot cheaper than like in stores and things. So look, housing plays a big part in, you know, the accommodation and CPI increase as well. Rents are still going to go up in 2023. Uh, the cost of construction is still going up, but only marginally. And I think we've actually hit that point in construction where we've actually plateaued. Well, that's the experience that I'm getting. We've we've plateaued, and that's because we have been able to get materials for the last six months. There are materials that have gone up, but overall, the market sort of stayed pretty steady for the last six months. And I think that building prices will come back down by the end of 2023, but I think that they might etch up a little bit more here and there, but it's going to depend obviously on the builder as well. Some builders are able to get trade, so they're able to get labor. Other builders are still not able to get labor. And I think that's really what it's going to come down to, how busy builders are and how busy the subcontractors are. But if you scroll down the list, you can have a look at the change. And, you know, I'm only focused on the last year. So have a look, breads, you know, bread and cereal products. Don't know why they're up 13%, but, you know, overall food and non-alcohol beverage, 8%. I'm just going to have a look at the main ones. That one doesn't really care. Clothing, footwear, hasn't gone much. You know, have a look at housing, like 10%. And I think, you know, in a lot of instances, it's actually a lot more than that. So, you know, that's up 10%. Look at that, new dwellings purchased by owner-occupiers. And then, you know, what's another one? Recreation and culture. So it's just talking about holiday, travel of 20%. I, I've personally seen some hotels go up by double like i said so i'm surprised it's only 17 but i suppose when you combine you know 17 with another 30 you're up to sort of 40 percent increase in the last couple of years so yeah those couple of things have really you know made a big dent in our monthly cpi so hopefully over the next six to 12 months people aren't going to travel as much so that's going to come back down we still have to eat food so you know the demand for food is still going to be there so whatever's driving that, maybe it's resources, maybe it's transport lines from overseas. Hopefully those will, will play out and that will come back down. So I'm talking about this, you know, food and non-alcohol beverages and specifically, you know, breads and cereals and look, dairy and related products. However, cow's milk has gotten more expensive. I don't know. But, you know, that's contributing. Obviously, I don't do the, the statistics and I don't do these these graphs um, but all we can do is rely on the information that's available at hand and hopefully the ABS isn't skewed one way or another and hopefully we are on the downside of our CPI and our inflation bubble that we're in the other the other thing which I wanted to note or which I keep a close eye on because it gets mentioned in most RBA board meetings is around the retail trade and how that's traveling so with the savings level we had not only did we go out and travel as a country or, you know, as a world where people were locked down. We went out and we, we've traveled. Hopefully most people have got that in their system by now. And people have also bought a whole lot of stuff because we've had more money, more disposable income. So we go out and we buy presents for people. We buy things for ourselves. I was reading about how many people bought, you know, chairs or lounges because they're at home, you know, upgraded their furniture during COVID or after COVID. And admittedly, I've done that as well to a certain extent, but I needed new furniture. Um, but generally, you know, overall, we've seen an increase in retail turnover. 
And now that things are tightening, we're having to put more money into our mortgages, then this is hopefully going to come back down. But we did see an increase. So you can see that, you know, it's going up. Everyone spent money, da 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 And it's basically risen for, you know, the last couple of years since COVID, really. We had a bit of a drop in December, and which was a bit interesting. I mean, you can see last year we had a bit of a drop and then we just, you know, started etching up again. Keep in mind, inflation takes a toll in this as well. So, you know, $35 billion worth of stuff, if I got the number right, $35 billion worth of retail is not the same in January 23 as it was in January 22. So there's an inflation amount already embedded in that. So if we've got inflation running at 8% at the moment, you can add 8% to that 32 million mark. So it's not as bad as it looks, but it's still not great. I mean, it's great if you're in retail sales, uh, you know, your sales hopefully have gone up substantially in the last 12 months or 24 months. Uh, but if you're not in that, it just means people spending money, which is, I mean, it's great for the economy. It's just at the moment, we've got too much spending. And I think that that's going to contract. So I think we are headed for a bit of a cliff, not just in our mortgage, you know, that mortgage cliff everyone's been talking about. And I think we're headed for a bit of a cliff in retail once people actually realize that they can't spend as much money. They do need to knuckle down and be putting more money to their to their mortgages, people aren't going to be buying things that they were. Maybe maybe people will get start making their own coffee or start making their own sandwiches instead of buying them. So it will all contribute, and I'm surprised it already hasn't started contributing. But obviously, people are are still doing their daily routine and enjoying holidaying, enjoying going out. And I think it's only a matter of time that it's going to come to a head, especially if rates continue to keep going up if only by you know another half percent that makes a big difference so just just to knuckle down into retail trade uh, i wanted to have a look back at you know 2020 and see what the retail trade looked like because nobody was spending money during covid uh, except online but we were all conscious about our spending especially conscious because we were all myself included looking at riding out the wave you know, I was looking at riding out the wave for a couple of years from COVID. I was still actively buying properties, but I thought if this, you know, doesn't blow over as quickly as what I hope, you know, we could be another couple of years. So I've got to, you know, conserve all the cash that I can and make sure I put it towards the right properties and be buying those right properties, expecting them to, you know, rebound at some point in the future. So if you just have a look at this graph, you know, it went down during 2020. And then, you know, it started to recover. You know, this is our monthly turnover, uh, you know, percentage on a you know monthly basis, what our increase is or decrease. And, you know, this is all of our, you know, that decrease through there. And then, you know, we increase and now we're, you know, on the, on the plateau, hopefully. So hopefully all going well, we won't see, you know, retail spending spike significantly like we've seen or, you know, continue month on month increasing percentage wise. And then the other thing I thought was interesting as well was around our surplus. And I do sometimes spend time looking at our accounts and where we've generated surplus from as a country because when the country gets money in the door, they like to spend it on infrastructure projects, which drives construction, which unfortunately drives construction prices up. Because if somebody can work on a public sector infrastructure project where they get paid more money they're going to go there versus building houses so one thing i really hope the government doesn't do is go and pump a whole lot of money into infrastructure projects because it's going to pull a lot of the labor and resources 
from the housing construction market and those housing people, labor, and also the material supply, we actually are going to need those very soon. So I do keep a close eye on this. And, you know, we, we have posted a current account surplus. Um, it's reasonable. You know, I highlighted this bit, you know, the trade surplus reached 40 billion, the second highest on record. And we are up, you know, substantially from the resources sector. We, we do have a lot of money in our coffers. We being, you know, the government has a lot of money in their coffers from the increased resources sector, sector and export because of, obviously resource prices. So hopefully resource prices will come down and you know Twitter away a little bit, but the government is going to spend that money at some point in time. And from what I've seen in the past, you know, a lot of infrastructure projects get brought to a head. So there is going to be a lot of money get spent in the construction sector. I just really hope that the government doesn't decide to pull the trigger on some major infrastructure projects when we desperately need housing. Uh, that's just going to make our construction industry just go ballistic and construction prices, if that happens, are just going to go up another 30% again. So, I mean, imagine draw a line in the sand at construction prices now. If they went up another 30% over the next few years, you know, where is that going to put a basic, a basic house in terms of pricing? Like it's going to be through the roof. A basic house at the moment is $300,000 for a bare basic house. You, know, you add another 30% to that, there's like $400,000 bill cost for a basic, you know, four bed, two bath house. So that, that's going to add massive pressure on our supply. So hopefully the government, you know, spends this money wisely, puts it towards good things and doesn't just blow it, you know, on massive infrastructure projects, which then suck our resources. So they're the things that I wanted to cover today. And if you have any questions, please let me know in the comments subscribe to the channel. I always am looking at putting out different information that people find uh, interesting. And, you know, I look at various different indicators on a daily or weekly basis. This is just a few of them that I keep a close eye on. There's certain things in the property market, especially here in Australia, that are the key driving factors. And those things make a big difference to how the market's going to perform, not just you know, the market that you're in, but also the holistic market as well, because Australia is well connected with ourselves, but also the rest of the world. So, you know, even having a look at how the state, you know, the US is performing, that makes a difference to our market as well, especially when a lot of our financing is coming out of the States and also a lot of our investment. So if you like this episode, please give me a like and we'd love to see you on the next one.